Well, good morning. It is a good morning this morning. I am glad to have y'all here. I am so excited. Um, as you may remember, last week we uh, made it to the New Testament. So we are working through the New Testament. I have no idea exactly um, how I'm going to structure it or, or how I'm going to follow it. We're just taking it week by week, uh, going through our reading plan, and then uh, preaching through it. So I'm excited. I wanted to, I thought I was going to hold off later in um, working through the New Testament. I thought I was going to kind of wait till the end of the gospel to talk about this, but I just felt like I need to talk about it at the beginning. That way you can appreciate it and recognize it and pay attention to it as we go through the gospels, and you'll start to realize how much more you're going to hear it than you, than you remember hearing it in the past. Um, so, so we are going to be talking about the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew likes to refer to it, or the kingdom of God in general. So let's, let's open up in prayer. Father, we love you, and Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you've given it to us in a way that we can understand it, that you have made it so that it's not too complicated for us to understand. Anybody can read the Gospels and accept the message of salvation. You've made it simple enough for any, anybody to be able to embrace and be saved. But you've also made it deep enough that we can study it all of our lives and continue to just find more and more and more treasure in your word. Father, your words are who you are. That is us getting to know you. Getting to know your words is getting to know you. And so, Father, we value and treasure your word. Father, we thank you that you have blessed our country and, and blessed this nation enough that all of us can have a copy of it in, enti- in its entirety. Any of us can have a copy of your word. Um, there's, there's so many copies of your word to go around. This is such a blessing. And so, Father, I pray that as we study it and, 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 and go through it in this hour, that, Father, that you would sink it into our hearts, that you would open our minds to understand it and, and, to, and to change who we are so that we are different when we leave here and we live differently. We love you, Father. Help us grow closer to you. Help us to appreciate you and your word more and more every day. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So we're starting off in the book of Matthew. Now we will jump around from gospel to gospel because we're not going to go Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, then John. What we're going to do is we're going to follow Jesus' life through the gospels. And so we're going to go more of a chronological order. So we will, we will just hit whoever happens to be talking about the subject at the time. Um, but Matthew is every gospel is a little bit different. Every writer is a little bit different. Matthew, when talking about the kingdom of God, most often refers to it as the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's lots of ideas of why. We believe that Matthew wrote, he wrote his gospel to Christians and, to, and obviously for Christians to share with non-Christians. But he wrote his gospel to Christians and we believe that by the way that he structured it and the way that he wrote, we believe that he had a very Jewish Christian in mind. Um, a, a lot of what Matthew wrote in the, in the Gospel of Matthew has a Jewish audience in mind. Um, and the Jews at, in the Apostles' day and in Jesus' day, were, um, they didn't say Yahweh's name out loud. You know, that is, how, that is the name that God gave himself um, that's, that, to us. That's how he revealed himself to us throughout the Old Testament is Yahweh. If you read through the Old Testament in the Hebrew or did a search, you'll find Yahweh thousands and thousands and thousands of times. But by Jesus' day, the people had come to to revere Yahweh's name so much because one of the Ten Commandments, 
He said, do not use my name in vain. God said, do not use my name in vain. I will, let, I will leave no one unpunished who uses my name in vain. And so the, the Jewish people took it very seriously not to use God's name in vain. And what it means to use his name in vain, I hate to even say our culture today, in our culture today, when you think of using God's name in vain, you think of all the people who use God's name as a cuss word, which they do on a regular basis. It just pours out of their mouth. But it's much more than that. To use it in vain means to use it without meaning. That's what in vain means, meaningless. And so to use God's name haphazardly or, or meaninglessly. Um, I always step on a lot of toes when I say this, but I think you know I've never been afraid to step on anyone's toes up here. But one thing that people do not realize is when they say, Oh my God, or OMG, when they say that, they're using God's name. You say, well, you used God's name in vain. No, I didn't mean anything by it when I said that. That's the point. You used his name without meaning, without purpose. You didn't mean anything by his name. You didn't revere his name. You wasn't using his name in a, in a, in a, in a, in a holy manner, in a, in, a, in a respectful way. That's what it means to use God's name in vain. To not revere it and not use it in a respectful manner. So oftentimes you would ask somebody, do you use your mother's name as a cuss word? Nobody does that. Because it's disrespectful to their mother. But yet people so flippantly use God's name in a meaningless way. And so that's, by all that to say, by Jesus' day, people didn't even use Yahweh's name. They didn't say Yahweh out loud. They would say Lord instead of Yahweh. They'd be afraid to use his name wrongly. It was not accepted to say Yahweh's name out loud. Even today, in Jewish uh, groups, if you're around a, a Jewish people today, it is offensive for you to say Yahweh out loud. That is just, ha- that's just their respectful nature of God's name. So with Matthew trying to reach a mainly Jewish audience, and stay, instead of saying the kingdom of Yahweh or the kingdom of God, he often referred to it as the kingdom of heaven. Um, but, but I just want that you to know that when he says kingdom of heaven, that's the same as kingdom of God. You read in the kingdom of God and the other gospels, and, and even in Matthew's gospel, uh, the kingdom of theos, the word for God, theos, it's the same thing. So let's get into some interesting uh, statistics. Um, I do use Logos Bible software. I highly recommend it to anybody that's interested in using it. If you use a computer, they even have an app on your phone. Um, they have free versions of it that you can use. But I used it to run some numbers and figure out some things. I, I, I did a couple um, searches on the, on the book of Matthew. And uh, what I did is I searched the Greek words in Matthew. There's one called a word list. You can compile a word list of a passage versus a whole book. And that's what I did, the whole book of Matthew. And then once I compiled all the words that are used in Matthew, then I ranked them by order of number. You know, how many, were used the, how many words showed up most often, from the most often to, to least often. And this is what I came up with when um, I took the top fif- words that are used 50 times or more, okay? Uh, I'm just using the words, taking the words that are found 50 times or more that Matthew uses in the Gospel of Matthew. From number one down to number 54, you see the order in which he uses these words. He uses the word the more often than anything in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, that does not mean I recommend you sit down and have a Bible study on the meaning of thee in Matthew. Let's find out what Matthew meant by thee. 
Let's break into it and, and study his use of thee. No, I, you know, obviously when you look at this verse, I mean this list of words, your first thought to me is going to be, well, did you learn anything? I mean, you took that time to do this. Did you get anything out of it? Um, well, there are 54 different Greek words that appear in Matthew 50 times or more. Okay? Do you know how many different Greek words Matthew uses? Now, that doesn't mean how many words are in the gospel. It means how many words are, Greek words are different. How many different Greek words he uses. 1,658 words. So if I were to list all the words that he used that are different from other words, your, the list would be 1,658 words long. I only gave you the top 54, okay? He had a good vocabulary, much better than mine. I'm all the time up here. What's the word I'm looking for? What's the word I'm looking for? You know, my, my sermons, if you were to compile my sermons in logos and figure out how many words I use, I'm afraid to show y'all how many um, wor different words I use. So he only uses 54 of them 50 times or more. Most of them are the words the or he or he and you in be words that really don't shed any light on the gospel. So what I did was I took this list of 54 and I just took the nouns because I believe that if you just take the nouns, you can really get a good glimpse of what are the topics that he talks about here is a list of just the nouns in that top 54 words. It gets real small real quick, doesn't it? And it's actually starting to shed light. Now you can start to see what are the themes, what are the topics that Matthew talks about. There was another tool in there, a morph text search that I did. Now this is the word list tool that I used and compiled. I used another tool, a morph text search. The results were a little bit different, but almost the same. Here are the results from the other tool search I did. You see how there was hardly any difference? It's just one word difference and just a rearranging of a couple of the words. But in essence, pretty much the same results, which is a good thing. Now we start to see a pattern. The pattern that w the themes that we see emerging in the Gospel of Matthew are first and foremost Jesus, then family, then heaven, the kingdom, disciples, and God. It's interesting to note that he used the word disciple and kingdom more than he used the word God in his Gospel. But I would have to say that you see man and son are the number two and number three. 30 times these words are found as son of man, son of man, son of man. Jesus' favorite phrase about himself. So really, if you took those 30 and you just added those to Jesus, because they all refer to Jesus, and then you add God in there, really it starts to, to dwindle down. Lord, you see Lord. Lord is another reference for God and to Jesus. So if you adjust the numbers a little and kind of really get the ideas boiled down, this is kind of what you end up with. Jesus and God, heaven, kingdom, disciple, and then son, father. This is the heart of Matthew's gospel. It's all about Jesus. I mean, it is absolutely 
all about Jesus. But when he's talking about Jesus, one thing he often talks about is heaven and the kingdom. And so many times those are together. Kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven. And disciples. When Matthew wrote his gospel, what he wanted to get across to people was Jesus and the kingdom of heaven and how to be a disciple so that you can be a part of it. That's Matthew's gospel. It's all about Jesus and the kingdom of heaven and how you can be a disciple in it. How many of these do you feel like you have a good grasp on? How many of these do you feel like you could sit and talk with your, with your neighbors and, and, and friends and coworkers about? You say, okay, do you think you could talk about Jesus with people? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I could talk about Jesus with people. Do you think you could talk about God with people? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. You think you could talk about heaven with people? Kind of. I don't really know a lot about heaven, but I mean, I kind of got the gist. Can you talk about the kingdom of God with them? How about the kingdom of God? The kingdom. I don't really know much about the kingdom. That never comes up. When I'm talking to people about God or Jesus or trying to share the gospel, I don't ever talk about the kingdom. The kingdom just is just something that is foreign to me. It doesn't come up. And that's what I'm trying to show you is that to Jesus, to the apostles, to the Old Testament, to the New Testament believers, the kingdom was the central main theme when they talked about jesus and they talked about god they were talking about the kingdom and that's something that we've lost and that's why i wanted to share this at the beginning of this new testament adventure the rest of the year because i want you to recognize and see how many times when you're reading through the scripture and you're reading through the new testament you keep hearing about the kingdom the kingdom the kingdom the kingdom the kingdom now i don't know how many of y'all grabbed a bulletin You'll notice it is full today. And uh, I intend to get through every one of them. All right, so here we go. I really want to focus on the kingdom. Here we go. We're going to start looking at the kingdom. Matthew 3, verses 1 through 3. In those days, John the Baptist came, preached, and I will talk fast because I really do believe, I put all these verses in here. I worked on finding these verses and, and, and putting this together because I feel like it's important and I want you to hear it. So I'm going to try my best to, to speak quickly and not lose anybody and just try to hammer home this main point about the kingdom. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, who said, A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. This is what I want you to notice about this. Now, John the Baptist is the precursor to Jesus. John the Baptist is technically the last Old Testament prophet. Oftentimes we think of Malachi being the last Old Testament prophet. No, technically, John the Baptist is technically the last Old Testament prophet, the one who comes to preach the coming of Jesus, the, the spirit of, of, of Isaiah, who, Elijah, who, the spirit of Elijah to come, the, the forerunner to tell, this is John the Baptist. Notice, in these three verses, Matthew gives us who, what, when, where, and why. The who, John the Baptist. The what, he is preaching in the wilderness. He's preaching. What is he preaching? What's the what? What is he preaching? Repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's the message. That's the what. Repent 
because the kingdom of heaven has come there. When? In those days. He actually just gives us a when. I thought that was useful. I threw it in there. The when. In those days. He was preaching. Where? In the wilderness of Judea. And why? Why? Because the prophets, to fulfill what the prophets had spoken. Now this is important in just a second. We're going to get right back to it. Okay? Let's go on to our next verse. He talks about another to come after him. He said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. Now, we don't have time to get into this topic today, this repentance and this idea of who is really in the kingdom, who is not really in the kingdom, but we'll try to come back to that and go through that and look at that. But here is this idea, and what you'll see throughout this theme of the kingdom is that there are those who are in the kingdom, disciples, And there are those who are out of the kingdom. And what the Jewish people mistakenly believed was because I'm born into this, I'm a child of Abraham, I'm a descendant of Abraham, I'm a Jew in the nation, that I go to my temple and perform my sacrifices, but I am born into the kingdom. And Matthew clearly tells us that Jesus said, not so. John the Baptist said, not so, that Jesus, the one coming after me, will come with a winnowing fork and he will take the nation, the kingdom, and he will throw it together and the wind will blow the chaff away to be burned. He will separate those who are genuinely in the kingdom from those who are not genuinely in the kingdom. And you will see that theme throughout the, the Sermon on the Mount. You'll see that theme throughout the Gospel because Matthew is trying to reach his Jewish audience who believe that they're part of the kingdom of God for the wrong reason and they're not saved just because they're born Jewish and so Matthew really wants to hammer home what saving faith takes that you must place your faith in the Messiah Jesus and apart from placing your faith in the Messiah Jesus you are not a member of God's kingdom so then I want to point out in the next chapter we're told the who what when where and why of Jesus's preaching We've already been told the who, what, when, where, and why of John the Baptist preaching. Now we're going to be told that of Jesus's. Matthew 4, 12 through 17. When he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to the live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. There's the why. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From then on, Jesus began to preach what? Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. What did, it te- what did Matthew tell us was John's message that he preached? Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Then he tells us that Jesus goes around preaching his message. What is the message Jesus preaches? Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Matthew, without, without a mistake, uses the exact same words in the exact same order to emphasize and help us realize that the message that John was preaching is the exact same message that Jesus was preaching. God has not preached one message and then turned around and decided to preach a different message. Jesus is not a different message that does away with the old message. Jesus is the fulfillment 
of that message that he's always preached. The same message that God has preached to his people from the very beginning, from Adam and Eve, all the way through the nation of Israel, all the way up to the Messiah coming to earth, God has always preached the same message. Repent. Repent, turn to me, turn from sin, turn to me, turn from sin, turn to me, turn from sin, turn to me. And when Jesus showed up, he didn't say, okay, I know that in the past you were saved by turning from your sin to God, but now I'm changing the message. Now Matthew clearly says all the Old Testament prophets, everything that God has spoken from the past, it's all the same message. The only thing is Jesus is a fulfillment of that message, not a different message. He goes on. He called his first four disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And after he called his first four disciples, it says immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Everywhere that John the Baptist went, He went preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And everywhere that Jesus went, he went preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The Old Testament pointed to this glorious coming of this glorious kingdom. Okay, the Old Testament talked about this. And I just want to point one thing out. It says the good news here is evangelio. It is the Greek word for gospel. Okay, we use the word gospel and everybody knows what does gospel mean. Good news. That's literally what it is. When, you, when you're reading here that Jesus went around preaching the good news of the kingdom, in the Greek, what, what Matthew literally said was he went around preaching the gospel of the kingdom. See, this is something that can't be separated, and it shouldn't be separated. In the, new, in the, in the early apostles and Jesus, in their mind, they never fathomed that it would be separated. Now, I understand to an extent why we don't talk about the kingdom anymore, because... What do you think the most obvious reason is? We don't live in a kingdom. We've been disconnected as people. We've been disconnected from a kingdom. We don't live under a king. We don't live in a kingdom. But these people did. They did. Throughout the Old Testament, all the nations did. All the nations had kings. Israel had kings. Jesus' day, they, had, they still had kings. Rome had an emperor. He was a king. They still lived under kingdoms. That's all that everybody knew. Kingdoms, king, kingdoms, king. We rebelled from a king. We rebelled from a kingdom. And we started our new nation kingdom. Uh, don't say kingdom. Nation. Okay, it's a nation. It's not a kingdom. We rejected against the word kingdom. We rejected against anything that had to do with kings and kingdoms. And I think that's probably why we as American people have lost the understanding and the concept of tying the gospel of Jesus to the gospel of the kingdom. That's literally what the gospel says. That Jesus went around preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They're not separate. They are the same. The Old Testament pointed to a coming glorious kingdom where one like a son of man would be given an everlasting kingdom and rule and the whole world would be changed and God would rule from His throne forever and ever. Let's look at it. Daniel 2.44 In the days of those kings, the God of the heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And this kingdom will not be left to another people 
It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but will itself endure forever. Here we have this prophecy of this coming kingdom that will rule all other kingdoms and will never end. And you're a Jewish man or woman, and you're thinking, yes, I'm looking forward to that day. I'm ready for our kingdom, our nation, our kingdom, to become the ruling kingdom of the world, and that all other nations on earth will submit to us, and our king will rule forever. I am looking forward to that day. It would be the same as us having a prophecy today to tell us that the United States, one day, our nation, our people, our kingdom, would one day establish the, the, the ruling kingdom. No other nation would ever uh, persecute us or, or oppress us. And that we, all other kingdoms, would submit to us. And we think, well, I'm so glad I'm American. I'm so glad that I, I'm lucky enough and blessed enough to be born into the ruling kingdom. And that's kind of the mindset that the Jewish people took on. They longed and looked for this day when their kingdom would be established over the whole earth. And then he goes on, Daniel goes on in chapter 7. He's talking about these visions. He said, I continued watching in the night visions and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and His kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. The Old Testament prophets preached about a coming kingdom, and that one like a son of man would be given the kingdom, and His rule would never end. John the Baptist preached about a coming kingdom, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. John the Baptist kept saying, the kingdom is, is almost here. The kingdom is almost here. And Jesus preached about a coming kingdom. And Jesus preached that it had now come. Luke 17, 20 and 21, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. Everybody's concerned about the kingdom. Pharisees asked Jesus, when is the kingdom of God going to come? And Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. I hate to break your, burst your bubble, but the kingdom is not coming in a way that you can see. It's not going to be an earthly king set up and a physical army that goes out and subdues all the other nations. No one will say, see here or there. For you see, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Jesus said you're not going to see the establishment of this kingdom in a physical way. Oh, and by the way, the kingdom of God is here in your midst right now. Jesus preached the kingdom of God has come. Why? Because He was the King. He was the one prophesied by Daniel that this coming son of one like a son of man would be given the kingdom. That's Jesus. In Matthew, 30 times we read Jesus refer to himself as the son of man, the son of man, the son of man. A direct fulfillment of this prophecy. By the way, he said, I'm the son of man. And the apostles They preached about the kingdom. 
Acts 19.8. Paul, this is after Jesus' resurrection. This is the New Testament apostles going out and trying to spread the New Testament church. The exact same thing we're supposed to be doing. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Paul is going, trying to plant churches, trying to convert people and share the gospel with them. And what is he doing? He's going into their, their synagogues and he's trying to argue and persuade them about the kingdom of God. Because that was the theme. That was what they looked for. That was what had already come. And that is the future awaiting all of us disciples who are enter into the kingdom. The kingdom with our king. And we, as members of the kingdom. Here, here you go, my low vocabulary. What are, what are members of a kingdom called? Subjects. Thank you. That's what we are. And as subjects, what do we do? We are to subject ourselves to the king. So what did he go around preaching about? The kingdom. The kingdom of God. And so I encourage you, as we continue to move through this, I encourage you to get into that mindset that when we think about salvation and we think about Jesus and we think about heaven and we think about eternity and we think about what our mission is here, get into that mindset of thinking about a kingdom. A kingdom that we have a king. The kingdom of God is what we are supposed to be preaching. The gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of Jesus. They're one and the same. When Jesus went around preaching throughout his ministry, he preached about the kingdom. Matthew 4, 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. I read that to you earlier. Matthew 4, 23. Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. I read that one to you also. But when Jesus gave his most well-known teaching, what is Jesus' most well-known teaching? It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? When he gave his most well-known teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, he started and finished all of his blessed are sayings. Blessed are such and such, such and such. He started with the first one, and he finished with the last one talking about the kingdom. He said, Matthew 5, 1 through 3, When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The first blessed saying he gives. And then the last one he said in verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. See, these, these people back, back in Jesus' day, including Jesus and the apostles, oftentimes when they wrote and when they spoke, they would use... Um, ways to tie things together in their speech and in their writing where you start and finish something with the same idea that that encapsulates an idea i'm going to start it and i'm going to finish it with the same idea that ties up a segment they didn't have chapters and verses and things like we have they just had a start and a finish and that's my bookends and that's my subject and so what he's doing here is he's starting and finishing his blessed are statements he's encapsulating them in the kingdom of god that's what ties all this together the kingdom of god and then he starts his sermon, which is also the first verse, the blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will see the kingdom of, God, the kingdom of heaven. That's the first, the first thing he says at the beginning of his entire speech and sermon on the mount. And then he wraps it up. The last thing, which I'm not sure is our next verse, but we'll get to it in just a second. He wraps up the entire sermon on the mount the same way. He starts with the kingdom of God. He finishes 
with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was central to all of Jesus' teaching and preaching. Throughout his sermon, he continues. I'm going to read some more. Throughout this Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 19 and 20, Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And he's talking about the commands that have been given to them under the old Mosaic law, the laws that God had, had already given. He said, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Three times he says the kingdom of heaven there. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you yourself will never enter the kingdom of heaven, he says. When he taught his disciples to pray, he taught them to pray for God's kingdom to come. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Matthew 6.10. Pray for the kingdom to come. Pray for God's kingdom to come. He taught us to seek after God's kingdom. Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. So He teaches us to literally seek after the kingdom. This is all in the Sermon on the Mount. He started the Sermon on the Mount talking about the kingdom. He finished the Sermon on the Mount talking about the kingdom with a strong warning against those who were there who believed they were saved but had not repented and therefore were not actually saved and would not be allowed to enter the kingdom. You know how Matthew's on this to his Jewish audience? You think, you may, you think you're saved, but that doesn't mean you're saved. And so he goes on to talk about those who thought they were saved but were not saved. He says in Matthew 7, starting in verse 19, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is repentance. Every person who does not repent of their sins will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit, by the way they live, their actions. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Now we're going to finish a few more verses, but I just want to stop right there. I say it almost every time I bring this up. I just want to say it again. He literally, there were people in Jesus' day up to our day. There are people today who have prophesied in the name of Jesus, driven out demons in the name of Jesus, and done miracles in the name of Jesus, who will die and face Jesus, and Jesus will say, I never knew you, depart from me. Why is that such a big deal? One, because I ask you, how many demons have you driven out in Jesus' name? How many prophecies have you made in Jesus' name? How many miracles have you done in Jesus' name? So when we hear about these people who have, and we see the things that people who do, your first natural inclination is to think, they must have it right, they must be close to God, they must have what I'm missing. And you look to them automatically as a spiritual leader that you want to get, you know, figure out what do they know that you don't. And so what I do with that is I then take that and apply it to my life. And this is how it works. I always say the church down the street. I don't know of any of this going on in the churches down the street, but that's just an easy way to say it. If the church down the street, and that could mean next county, next town, next state, whatever, 
If the church down the street, people are coming in and they are being healed. I touch you, you fall, you're healed, miraculous, whatever. And then they're speaking prophecies and all these things. And you see all these signs and wonders. I know this sounds harsh, but that don't mean a hill of beans to me if they're not preaching faithfully to this. Because you can do these things. Why? And you ask the question, why? Why would God allow people to do these things in His name? Because the woman who got healed, Jesus wanted healed. The person who came demon-possessed, who was being bound by Satan and the enemy, Jesus is looking at this child who is yearning for Him and being bound by the enemy, and He's not going to say, no, I'm not going to release you. I'm not. No, He said, okay, yes, I'm going to release you. I'm going to release you from this in my name. Jesus wants these things to be done, and even if somebody's doing them for the wrong reason and doesn't have a genuine relationship with God, he's still going to do his, move his kingdom forward. He's still going to move his mission forward. And so it's, 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 it's so important that you know that the church you go to, whether there's signs of healing and miracles, like we just heard about a few minutes ago, whether there's healings or miracles or whatever or not, this is the litmus test to whether or not you sit under their teaching. This is the litmus test to whether or not you, you tie yourself to that church and that, organi- that group of body of believers, of brothers and sisters in Christ. Or whether or not you listen to what somebody has to say about what, how to relate to God and how to be right with God. This is the test. This supersedes all signs and all wonders and all miracles. He goes on. Then I will announce to you them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed, and, and it collapsed with a great crash. And so Jesus says, matter-of-factly, right here, n- no question about it, you will either listen to my words, my rebuke, my warnings to turn from sin. Either you will repent and act on them and turn from sin. Or you won't. And you won't turn from sin. You won't act on what I've, uh, what I've warned you about to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. You won't act on these words. And you can't say, well, I am a son of Abraham. Abraham is my father. You can't use any of those excuses. Your crash will be great your house will fall because your 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 entrance into the kingdom your idea of being a member of the kingdom is not on the only foundation in which it can be which is jesus he said those who listen to me and do what i say are good they're golden and those who don't are not and there are no exceptions jesus said there's no exceptions there's no second way to get to heaven I'm going to skip most of the verses that Jesus mentions the kingdom only because there are so many. Now that's not referring to my bulletin. I've already skipped them in my bulletin. But I'm going to skip, you know, those 50 times that we see kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. We're not going through 50. 
verses. We'll try our best. But it says, I'm going to skip, I'm going to skip most of the verses that Jesus mentions in the kingdom only because there's so many. So don't think this is an exhaustive list, but let's run, a few, run through a few of them. Matthew 9.35, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. There, what is he preaching? The good news of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, called his disciples, taught them, and then sent them out two by two to neighboring villages to preach. You remember that? So he calls his disciples, he, he teaches them, he, he get, they were there for the Sermon on the Mount, he teaches them, and then he sends them out two by two to teach. And he told them to preach about the kingdom. Jesus sent out these twelve after giving them instructions, don't take the road that leads to the Gentiles and don't enter any Samaritan town. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel as you go proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's what he told his disciples to go out and preach about the kingdom. Later, Matthew gives us a bunch of parables that Jesus taught about how the kingdom of heaven is like dot, dot, dot. He presented another parable to them, Matthew thirteen thirty one. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. Matthew 13, 33. 13, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. And there's more and more. He, taught, he gives us parables about the kingdom all the time because he's trying to teach us about the kingdom. On and on he goes. He gave us warnings about the kingdom. Matthew 18, 3, Truly I tell you, he said, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And that word turn is often used as a synonym for repent. It means to turn. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. There he uses both terms synonymously to let you know that he is talking about the same thing. 21.43, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. And here is, he is specifically talking to the Jewish people. He's saying the kingdom will be taken from you and given to people who will actually repent and produce fruit. And he rebuked those who prevented people from entering the kingdom. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you don't go in, and you don't allow those entering to go in. He warned us about the kingdom and entering the kingdom. Because that's our desire, that's our goal, to enter the kingdom of God. He talked about how the gospel of the kingdom will go out to all the world. He said, Matthew twenty four fourteen, This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed and in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Here, Jesus is specifically referring to the gospel going to all the nations, and the term he uses is the, te- uh, the, the gospel, the good news, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed to all the nations, and then the end will come. Jesus did not separate the gospel from the kingdom. He understood them to be one and the same message. The good news about Christ was synonymous with the good news about the kingdom. All the other Gospels repeat this same idea. Although Matthew typically used the phrase the kingdom of heaven, whereas the other Gospel writers typically used the phrase the kingdom of God. At Jesus' death, 
He was crucified as the king of the Jews. And the thief on the cross next to him, you remember what he said? Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Once we, after you sit through this sermon, you'll never be able to read the Gospels the same. Every time you come across the kingdom, you'll say, how come I didn't notice how many times this was here? But then after Jesus was killed for his preaching, now this is where it gets good. After Jesus was killed for his preaching about the kingdom, he rose from the dead and he spent, do you remember how many days? Forty days on earth before he ascended into heaven. Forty days he hung out on earth before he ascended into heaven. And what did he do during that forty days? He was not going to Starbucks. He was not checking out the beautiful scenery in the Antarctic that he didn't get to see before. He was not vacationing. He was busy. He was very, very busy. You remember this story? One of his first appearances to his disciples? Luke 24, 13 through 15. This is after he rose from the dead. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk um, along with them. And what did he do? It says that he said to them, how fo- now I skipped a few verses, but this is what it gets to. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? What glory is he talking about? You remember Daniel? You remember the prophecy in Daniel? When, in Daniel 7 where he said the Son of Man would be given glory and a kingdom? That's his glory. He received his glory and his kingdom. Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going further, which I think is just hilarious. Jesus uh, walking with these guys, or maybe a man and a woman. They could be married. It didn't, I'm not real sure. It, didn't, it, it only names one of them. Um, but he, he, he's walking with them, and uh, he, he, he pretends like he's going to keep on going. And so what happened was... They urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. Remember, he appeared with them to begin with. He disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? What was Jesus doing during those 40 days? I can tell you right now, he was popping up out of nowhere and he was disappearing out of nowhere because he was busy. He was on the move. He was going here, going here, going here, going here. And what was he doing? He was teaching the scriptures. He was explaining the scriptures to people. He was teaching the people. Why? Because they were the ones who were going to to birth the New Testament church. They were the ones that were going to share the gospel and spread the message and launch the church that has got to survive for thousands of years until he comes back. He was busy getting around, moving to these people and teaching them because, as we would have it, we're slow and we, we, we don't pay attention very well. And who better to have teach you the scriptures than the one who inspired them himself? Jesus. He was busy. Acts 1.3 says this. Write this one down if you don't have a bulletin. Acts 1-3. After he had suffered, 
He also presented Himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. 40 days He was appearing to disciples and teaching them about the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus knew was most important. He did, during those 40 days, what He knew was most important. To teach about the kingdom of God. And it is a shame. It's not our fault, I, don't, I wouldn't believe. I'm not, I'm not saying it's our fault. But it's a shame that as such a blessed country as America, we have lost the concept of what Jesus believed was the most important thing to talk about. The kingdom. The kingdom. So they asked, Acts 1, 6, this is two, two or three verses later. So when they had come together, they asked him, his disciples asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And this was his answer. And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will be my witnesses about me, about the kingdom of which I am king, my kingdom, that you can be a member of forever. And I will rule, I will protect, I will guard, I will make sure that you are safe, I will be the watchman, I will make sure that you're never taken off guard, I will be the one that goes out before you against your enemy, I will be the king of kings that you have never dreamed of, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. Don't worry about when I'm going to finally establish my kingdom. Just worry about being witnesses to that kingdom until I decide the time is right. Witnesses about the kingdom. That He is here in our midst. Even though it, will not full, it is not fully consummated until He returns in the sky and puts an end to the world as we know it. So what did the disciples do? They went out and preached. Philip. Philip, Acts 8.12. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. What did Philip do? He went out and preached about the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ. Paul, Acts 19.8. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Acts 20.25 And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. That's how Paul sums up his ministry there. Paul summed up his ministry knowing that he's about to go and die. He said, And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, that was my ministry, to preach the kingdom, will ever see me again. Acts 28.23 After arranging a day with him, many came to him at his lodging. From dawn to dusk, he expounded and testified about the kingdom of God. He tried to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. This was their message. Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house and he welcomed all who visited him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ 
with all boldness and without hindrance. Acts 28, 30, 31. He wrote to the Colossian believers. This is the last verse. You thought we weren't going to get there. We did. Colossians 1, 13. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. There are so many verses about the kingdom. There's no way I could, I could list all the verses about the kingdom and talk about all the, the verses about the kingdom. But I gave you a bunch. I hope you see that, that this was the message. This was the good news. The good news was about the kingdom. And the question is this. Have you been rescued from the domain of darkness? And have you been transferred into the kingdom of the Son God loves? Have you? Are you a subject in the kingdom? And God promised far better than just being subjects. He promised that you would be co-heirs with His Son. You are princes and princesses of the King, God the Father. In an eternal kingdom. You're royalty. So every time you see a little girl pretend like she's a princess and be so excited that she's a princess, you better not burst her bubble. Because to God, that's exactly what she is. A daughter of the king. A princess. And it's not wrong to, to, to get boys to think that they're princes. I don't hear it very often, but it's not wrong. Son of the king. And in his kingdom. Have you been transferred from darkness into that glorious kingdom? And if so, how about the rest of the people in your life? Let's talk about this kingdom. Let's study this kingdom. Let's get in a kingdom mindset where we understand who the king is and we enter into his kingdom and we are the recipients of the blessing of such an amazing, glorious kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for being a wonderful, perfect, holy, good, amazing, powerful, omniscient king. The king of the universe that everything is under Your rule, and that You will establish, You already have begun the kingdom, but You will consummate it one day. You will bring it to full fruition in this world. You will create a new heavens and a new earth, and Your, your city will come down from heaven to the new earth where You will live with us and dwell with us, where You will be our King. Father, we love You. Father, we just want to be in Your kingdom. Father, we are perfectly content with being Your subjects and we do not deserve to be Your children. But Father, Your love is so amazing. Father, I pray that if there is a single soul in this room who is not confident that they are a member of the kingdom, that they have entered into the kingdom, that they have subjected themselves to You through repentance and faith, Father, I pray that they would not let another day go by that they would not surrender their whole self to You and say, I love You, Father. I am sorry that I have sinned against You. I want to be forgiven. I want to turn from sin and turn to You. I want to be Your son and daughter. I want You, Father. I want You. 
Father, forgive me. And Father, I pray that for everyone else who has made that decision, that they would read Your Word and think about Your Kingdom and think about what it means to be in the Kingdom and what that Kingdom's like and what, it, what it's going to look like, what it does look like and what it's going to look like. And get so familiar with the Kingdom that we would be able to just talk about it so naturally with those in our lives. Friends, family, co-workers, neighbors. Father, we love You. And we thank You for Your undying and faithful love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen. If y'all would please stand with me and join us in this last song. Amen. Thank y'all for coming. Thank y'all for being here. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. I care so much about everyone here and I care very much about our future in the kingdom of God together. And what a glorious and wonderful and amazing future that's going to be. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for offering us an invitation to be members of your kingdom. And Father, I pray that we will humbly come before you, that we would submit ourselves and subject ourselves to you as our king, that we would serve you and realize that you are worth every breath, every thought, every second of our lives. We love you, Father. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen.